Welcome back to another episode of Have a Dope Day. I'm your host, Gabriel Lopez. Today, I have Melissa Yuroff in the studio with me. Thank you, Melissa, Thanks for, for giving me, me your time and your story. Can I get the hand claps? Thank you very much, Martin. Okay, so we're going to get into your story right now. And it's basically, I ask everybody, where does art start for you? Meaning, where is the furthest memory you remember you and art kind of being together? Okay. Um, yeah, I come from an artistic household. Okay. Um, my dad works in a creative field. My mom was always very supportive and, you know, kind of encouraging us to do creative things. We always made our own cards on Valentine's Day and like made our own decorations for holidays, things like that. Um, and then I, I used to draw with my dad a lot. Um, growing up, like late night, we'd have the TV on or whatever and we'd just sit there and draw together. So forever. <laughs> That's awesome. What did mom and dad do for a living? Um, my mom was actually, she was going to be a teacher and then she had a bunch of kids. So she decided to stay home with us. And uh, my dad has done a lot of jobs, but the the longest and most recent is uh, making neon. So neon signs, neon art, neon. How does dad get into neon? Um, he, it's actually how we ended up in Sacramento. He wanted a career change and he's never been really shy about those kinds of things. Like he, oh, okay. he will switch jobs, you know, yeah. whenever. Um, and so he was interested in it and he was already drawing and an artist and things like that too. So he decided to uh, switch careers. I can feel my voice shaking. It's all good. <laughs> It'll even out by the end. Um, switch careers and uh, went and found this guy that was – that was giving neon classes in San Diego and we were in Los Angeles at the time. Um, so he went there for like a trade school kind of thing, showed up and nobody else showed up for class. Really? And so it was like, like an old timey guy. He yeah. was just about his way out. Like did not want to do that career anymore. was going to teach one last class. My dad begged him and said, can I'm already here. Like I already yeah. quit my job. Like, can I just stay? And so the guy, he apprenticed under the guy for, I don't know, two or three weeks. Really? And, um, he was the only student in the class. Yeah. And then started his career. He found a job in Sacramento. So we moved to Sacramento and he's been doing it ever since. Dude, Pop sounds like he's brave as hell. That's hella ballsy, <laughs> dude. Like, yeah, he's a good dad. That's cool. So he got to apprentice under another craftsman. Yeah. And, and then he went and started his own journey down yeah, the craftsman Yeah, road. I think that's usually how this kind of job comes about. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can take classes in some places, but usually it's finding someone that wants to teach you. And yeah. that's also very rare. It is. And there's a lot of, uh, you never know what you're going to get when you start giving people information, especially something that's taken you a very long time to earn. So like when you have a craftsman that is on his way out, seen everything, done everything, it's pretty awesome when you can get all of that years of knowledge into like three weeks. <laughs> yeah. he. I mean, it wasn't, he said it was very boring. He would show up and yeah. he would say, okay, like, bend a double back like it's a looks like a u-turn almost like yeah. two u-turns so he would stand there for eight hours and every time the guy would come out and go nope do 100 more you Dang. know and so that was like that was his school and you do it and do it and, and then it's muscle memory and you yeah. kind of get it that's how spray paint is too it sucks all the way up until it doesn't and once <laughs> it doesn't you're just like oh i know how to do this now <laughs> so Dad moves up here. Do you remember what year that is? Um, late 80s, uh, like 89, 90. And so he came up first and I stayed 
in Los Angeles. It was just me, my mom, my brother at the time. Uh-huh. Many more siblings that have came since then. Um, and then we eventually moved up here as well. And you started going to school out here? Did you transfer schools or were you? Yeah. No, I went to school out here. Where Where did you go to school? Was it elementary, junior yep. high? Yep. All of it. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Do you remember what Sacramento looked like when you got here from where you came from? Um. Yeah, it was... It was a little behind yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a lot of ways uh, because I'm not like a fancy person, but when yeah. I came up here, people were freaking out. Like, why is she dressed like that? What is going on? You know? Oh, what? And, and, uh, and I don't know, like music was behind a little bit um, and there wasn't internet then. So, you know, yeah, it yeah. took a while for things to move around. Um, just a little bit of a smaller town. I remember thinking like, there wasn't sidewalks and that was really strange because we moved to Carmichael and it's, you know, yeah. there's no sidewalks out there. I don't know. It was just smaller overall. Nice people though. It's definitely a difference in culture and yeah. change. That's sure. crazy. Okay. So you go to school and we had talked about before, if you, if we could get into it a little bit about just your schooling. Okay. Is that okay? Yep. Sure. Okay. So there comes a point where you enter continuation school. Oh, okay. <laughs> All <laughs> yeah, right, let's sorry. do it. It's okay. Are we still good? Yeah, we're, we're still- fine. <laughs> okay, so you graduate from regular high school to continuation school high school. I did the same thing in my high school days, and it's very, very different. It is. It's almost like juvenile hall high school. Like, A little bit. It's, yeah. it's very different. So that leads me to believe that you weren't always like super into school or rules. Because is that safe to say? It is. It is. Yeah. Um, I I liked school a lot, but mm-hmm. I also liked not being there a lot too. Um, and so, you know, when I went to high school, the river was right behind it, and we would climb over that little levee and get into all kinds of trouble that we yeah. shouldn't have gotten into. Um, yeah. And so I ended up going to continuation, which was like a, a savior for me. Yeah. You know, people were there wasn't homework. There was it was structured in a way that worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the end of it, I was like going to night school, going to adult school, took my GED and was taking seven periods just so I could graduate um, and did. So, yay for that. Well, congratulations <laughs> on <you>. graduating. <laughs> Thanks. What happens professionally after high school? <laughs> I got caught. Yeah. Um, after high school, I well, – it was a little bit tricky. Our, our We didn't grow up with a lot of money at all. Um and we actually ended up losing our house right around that time. Oh, wow. Um, and so there was a little bit of a shift. I moved out of my parents' house and um, kind of couch hopped a little yeah. bit. And then, um, but I was working a bunch. So I ended up getting an apartment pretty quickly. I was 17 when I got my first apartment. Um, and just like worked a bunch and then was trying to go to community college, which was really tough and tough for me to focus because all I wanted to take was art classes. Yeah. Um, and then, I don't know, met some like great professors, learned some stuff and then just started getting art related jobs. So I dropped out of school, worked a couple jobs and then did creative things. Do you remember what year about this time is where you drop out of high or, uh, geez, uh, college? I'm horrible. Um, well, I mean, it was, it was like I was going and then ungoing and going and, yeah. you know, cause like back and forth, back and forth, graduated high school in 1998 and then went immediately to school, probably like 2003 or 2004. I started taking on, I went to school for art and photography, started taking on a bunch of photography jobs. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, by by the time I was 26, 2005, 2006, I was working at a photo studio. So I was done with school pretty much and yeah. just trying to work in my field. What are some of the kind of gigs you were getting as first-time art like gigs? There's some really funny stuff, you know, like, uh, can you take a picture of my dog or, uh, a lot of fashion shows. I used to drive to San Francisco a oh, lot that's cool. to do, um, a lot of fashion work. Cause originally I wanted to move to New York and work yeah. for Vogue, like every photographer yeah. ever wants to do, I guess. Um, but quickly kind of found out that as much as I want to be like a high fashion photographer, it's just not for me. It's not, my style will never be that way. So, um, kept shooting fashion, shot a lot of people, Pretty much, you know, when you first start, you just take every job take you, can. you can. Yeah. yeah. So I was just taking it all and kind of finding what I liked and what I was good at and then focusing in those areas. Well, what did you like more than uh, other things? Photo-wise, I like people. Okay. I really do. I um, I enjoy the, the connection that you make with folks when you're photographing them Definitely. and the story that you can either give or receive. Yeah. So you can absolutely take a picture that is that person fully or you, as a photographer, you have the ability to tell a story almost by using that person, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like, like I could tell a story through a photo of someone else, which I really enjoy doing. Um, yeah. Are we talking digital cameras or photo cameras? Oh, what yeah. kind of equipment were you using yeah. at this time? So uh, when I was in regular high school, before the continuation, <laughs> I uh, took like a ton of dark room. I was in the dark room all the time. Um and so I love film. And then I started doing some jobs, you know, in the early 2000s and I was still working in film and I would get paid for these jobs. This one time I shot a fashion show. I got paid uh, $500 and it was $700 to develop the film. I, I couldn't, I didn't have time to do it myself. I had yeah, to send yeah. it out. And then I realized like, okay, well, I got to get a digital camera. Yeah. Um, and so I sold my car, bought a digital camera, walked around. For a while? <laughs> <But> yeah. <laughs> Um, (laughs) and you know, it started from there. So the reason why I ask you that question is because this is very important to fast forward into now that what I mean by very important, sorry, is that film is something you grew up in, you liked, you genuinely connected with. And so you fast forward to now where everything is digital. You still have a lot of that grassroots feel to you and you genuinely like that stuff i do and that's tight and that's going to come into play in your story a little bit later Thank you. but you learn it in high school correct yeah i learned a lot in high school um my teacher mr haynes was uh great i mean i learned more there than i did in college yeah and then um in college i Took a couple classes, um, one from a, a woman named Jody Hooker, who still photographs around town, and it's all alternative processes and experimental. What does that mean? Um, so, like, you are, like, making your own chemicals, painting your own paper. Whoa. Like, it's like, um, it's every, the opposite of digital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everything that digital isn't. Uh, a lot of processes are from, like, the 1800s or sometimes before. What? Um, she had us building our own cameras, and I was like, oh, this is it. This is what I want to do. This makes sense to me. And so that's the route that I took. And then when I started doing digital photos, I really, I missed, staring at the computer is not for me. Yeah. I really missed um, like getting my hands in things, smelling yeah. the chemicals, you know, getting messy, ruining your clothes, all of those great things that happen. Um, and so took a lot of those elements 
into my photography. That's yeah, and that's funny you say getting your clothes messy. Some <laughs> of my favorite just clothing that I've ever owned has paint on it, spray paint or bucket paint. And it's because these clothes are attached to memories, right? They're attached to events and things. And like when you had said smelling the chemicals, that was something that I immediately was able to be like, yo, that's wild because you do photography in a black, in a dark room. Right. And I was spray painting things with a certain type of spray paint that now holds the same sentimental value when I smell the chemical in it. And that's crazy. How these are two completely different art forms. Mm -hmm. And that thing is there. Like, that's yeah, awesome all of a sudden you, you take a breath and you're 14 again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's wild. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more in depth about the teacher you had told me about, the the, the male. The male. The one that oh. was a war photographer okay. specifically. Yeah. Um, he he was rad. He at American River College. I went there. That's where I met Jody Hooker with the alternative class. Also met um, a man named Steve McKay. And it was his first class that he had ever taught. And it was photojournalism. And I think I was the only one running around with a film camera because, yeah. you know, that's what I had. And uh, he would send us on these assignments. And anyways, we built a little bit of a friendship. Yeah. Um, and then years later, almost 10 years later, at least, wow. he called. He found me on Facebook, said, hey, I might have a job for you called and said he had a job for me, like a state job doing photos. Uh -huh. um, and so I took it. <laughs> and what was the job? The job was basically, I mean, there was a lot of things. It was in the PR department at Sac State. Okay. Um, but my biggest job was getting Instagram photos for their Instagram account. And something you had mentioned to me that I thought was wild was that you weren't taking pictures with smartphones. Oh yeah, that wasn't a thing. We were we would go out with like a camera and these huge lenses, and yeah. then come back to the computer and then transfer it over to put it onto. So you were there for like some of the first <laughs> versions of Instagram. I mean, I'm not. I'm old, but come on. Yeah, I'm just asking. <laughs> I'm just asking. Yeah. yeah, I I think so. I mean, I had a personal Instagram when it first came out too, yeah. and and I'm to this day still not very great. I'm like so bad at hashtags and things like that. But uh, yeah, that's just a full time job, dude. Yeah, like. It's annoying. I was a funny person to put in charge of it, but it was great. And I learned a lot of things and saw a lot of things. And I'm very grateful to him for that opportunity. No, that's cool. And I think, again, it's it's the same situation with your dad in Neon. A craftsman teaches a student who then becomes a craftsman. You know, and it's that's how a lot of these older processes are passed down. And that's how, like, you can still see a lot of the soul in the work, too. You know, because you, you get it from other people and then you turn around and do what you want with it. And it shows in the work. And there's also the digital stuff, which is great, too. But it's kind of cookie cutter with a lot of stuff. So, yeah, I just wanted to make sure we talked about that before we got into the rest of your story where you had talked about just, uh, oh, there's a lot. <laughs> you had talked about in some of the prep for this, I read that you pay the mortgage with photography. I do. I did for a long time. Um, and then there was a little bit of a shift where I started paying the bills with photography and art. And um, I've been doing a lot of installations lately. So that's also paying the bills. Yeah. And I usually only mention that so people realize that a creative job is a job. Definitely. Is. You know, we're we're not only like doing the creative part, but we're also business owners. So yeah. we're doing all of our paperwork and our taxes and our, you know, um, I think it's important for people to know that that it's not a hobby for an awful lot of us. It definitely is. And I'm going to pick your brain a little bit more in depth about the requirements for that when we get to your a little bit further down in your story. Where 
were some of the first places you remember showing like your own personal artwork? Um, I mean, lots of places. We, we used to make our own shows a lot. Um, at local galleries? Sometimes. Sometimes alleys. Yeah, dog. That's <laughs> what I'm talking about. Sometimes, you know, house shows for sure. And oh, that's cool too. Yeah. We had some friends that would just kind of rent out a, like buildings that were empty. Yeah. Or I don't know if they rented, they must have rented them. Um, we'll say they rented them yeah. for the sake of this and conversation. Because we didn't break it. Like yeah. we had a key. Uh, but they, and then we would throw like big art parties with DJs and bands and music and art. And See, and that's tight because that to me sounds super personal. It was fun. It was and fun too, right? I have a key to buildings too. It's it's like probably three feet long. It's got two red handles on the sides, and it's black in the center. You push down real hard, it'll open up anything. Yep. Um, no, that's tight. And I just the reason why I thought that was awesome is because I was thinking about doing stuff like that recently. I'm like, yo, how do I, how do I just juice this more? Like, how do I add more of a wow factor to this? Like, to showing art with my friends and just doing these shows and shit, and like. Just kind of thinking outside the box, that's one thing that came to mind was like abandoned buildings or alleys or places where art's not really supposed to be shown. But in the in the style of graffiti, it would make sense. Sure. And I thought that was sick that you guys were doing that back in the day. I think everybody has done that, right? Because you start making art, it's because you love it. Yeah. And then, um, I mean, it might shift or change, mm-hmm. but everybody starts because they love it and they, their heart is in it and they, they want to share it with people. I mean, for the most part. Definitely. What was some of the first stuff you were making as your own personal art pieces? Were they paintings, photography? Um, there was, I, I was really into like mixed media, um, like collage and assemblage, doing some sculpture stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I loved all of that for forever. And I think I mentioned to you, I was nervous that when I would sell a piece, because I would never see it again. Yeah. And so that's kind of why I leaned into photography, because I can just print another picture. It's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I started off more fine art, sculpture kind of stuff, and then photos just kind of weaseled in there. So I that was very interesting, too, when you said that, because I was like, yo, what? That's cool, <laughs> right? Because I've sold some things, and I'm just like, they just forget about them. Mm-hmm. Somebody sent me a picture the other day, and I was like, oh, I remember that piece. That's cool. And it wasn't even that long ago. <laughs> but so much stuff has happened in such a short amount of time that like you lose track of your progress. And these pieces really help tell the story of where you started where you were, where you are now. That's like, true. It's pretty dope. It's important to document it, and I always forget to. Yeah. I always forget to sign my work, and I always forget to take a picture of it. So pretty much killing it. What? So what kind of things were you painting back then, like some of the first pieces you sold? Like what was the subject matter? Um, or pictures? What were you photoing or whatever? I, I, everything. Uh, I was living in Carmichael, and that's very suburban. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I thought it was real edgy, like, I'm going to take pictures of abandoned shopping carts everywhere, you know, or like <laughs> yeah. silly stuff like that. That's like, wow, <laughs> really going deep. Um, and then I don't know, like we, the one show we had, it was on K street and it was like George Bush was getting elected and it was oh, like a wow. whole, you know, nobody was into that. Um, and I had just gone camping and we threw all our beer bottles into the fire. And then when I woke up the next day, they were all melted in this weird, oh, crazy dope. way. Yeah. So I pulled them all out, took them home and turned them into like this cityscape kind of thing oh, and painted all over them and then it was like an anti-war show so it was like this is what your city could look like damn yeah, i don't know melted glass <laughs> i mean you know broken city no and that's tight and that's stuff that happens organically is usually some of the coolest stuff even if it doesn't come out the way you thought it would you learn a lot from it absolutely 
I'm still learning every time yeah. I take on a project. I think every artist is. That's probably one of the most powerful things about art. You just keep exploring and finding out new things about you and how you gel and vibe with everything around you. I agree. It's pretty dope. So where does it come into play to where you start doing more like, well, sorry, what happens after all these shows? Do you get into like established galleries or are you just kind of doing your own thing? I mean, sometimes there's some, uh, you know, that I've shown at that are higher end, I guess, than an alley. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And finding that, I don't, I don't know. Um, Sacramento is, Sacramento is a tough art scene. And there's definitely a look that galleries go for. Oh, okay. Um, I don't there's know. There's some game right here. Go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's game. It's just my own personal opinion that there's um, there's like a look that folks go for. There's a lot of landscapey stuff going okay, on. Okay, thank you. There's a lot of, you know, there was one time I showed it Elliot Fouts and it was because it was a picture of this girl and she was like holding a bird and the bird was flying into the, it was like very. Fancy. Well, I had like sold my soul a little bit making that piece. Oh, shit. You know, it was like I wasn't super into it, but they were super into it. So yeah. I was like, yeah, let's do it. And they hung it up. And I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure if I even answered the question. No, it's fine. <laughs> let's, let's go to the another question. Okay. Can you get a little more in depth into what you said Sacramento has a certain look, the art scene? Oh, well. Give me a little bit more of what that is. I don't know. I'm not, uh, uh, you know, I don't know all the things about our town. Um, I think that there are, I think Sacramento has always had a very large art scene, mm -hmm. um, and a lot of artists in it, a lot of creative folks. And I think that people keep saying that it's just now happening and it's just not popping up. And I don't really believe that that's the truth. I think that it's always been here. Um, and I think that we have a lot of focus on our city right now because there's been a lot of murals coming up. Yeah. Um, but I think that there has always been definitely an underground art scene, um, and you know, there's, there's been a gallery scene too. I don't, there's not really very many galleries open right now. COVID kind of killed them all. Yeah. Um, and I'm just rambling again. No, it's fine. <laughs> it's, it's fine. It's all part of the story. We're going to keep it. It's all part of the story. So there was an art scene here before COVID a st or a stronger art scene. We, was that what we'll say before COVID? I don't, I, I don't know if it's the art scene that's, that's lost, but the opportunity to show your art is, oh. is a little tricky now. Sorry, um, me. It's okay. <laughs> uh, you know, there's not a lot of galleries. I curate the wall public market gallery. Um, and I'm actually coming to an end of doing that after four years. And, um, I don't really know. There's, there's maybe a handful of galleries around town. So yeah. I'm not really sure. I think we're in, in the moment right now where, uh, a lot of people have stopped doing things like that and where a whole new generation is going to have like a lot of energy and come in full force and build it all up again. So Yo, that's wild that you said that. I think it'll be neat. That's crazy. I feel, I'm, I feel like that's what we're doing here. Yeah, absolutely. Like we're definitely doing that here and it's happening and there's like little tiny fires everywhere, like a little fire over here, a little fire over there, a little fire over there. And these things are just building, you know? And like, I was interested in the last show we threw that it was like, dude, we did this like a third and fourth time. Like, this is crazy, but it's not, it's a mixture of things, right? It's not so much that we did it. It's that the city wants this. They keep wanting to come to things that are organic and have very much like positive energy to them. And they, they just, they feel good, you know, and there's other people there that help fuel all that. And I think just opening up a space to that is like 
kind of sells itself, I want to say. Yeah, uh, but we do need a community that will support artists in a lot of different ways. Um, financially, of course, yes. right? Like, how do you keep a space open yep. if nobody's buying mm-hmm. art? Um, and to leave your house, <laughs> come yeah. outside, like, see the shows that are there. Um, so there is a want to support, but I think we need a little more fire under there. Oh, we definitely do. And I think that all starts with the artists, everybody getting to work and really digging deep and producing what feels good to them. Now, I'm glad we talked about this in the same way, because this brings me to another point. You had said that there was a part of you that wanted to make art that people wanted to buy and not necessarily be stuff that was just felt good to you. Can you tell me a little bit about that time or that situation that brought that idea or whatever? Yes, about? it happens all the time. Yeah, so uh, I make art for a living. Like that's my job. Yeah. And so when you start making art that you just love, um, not everybody always loves that and wants to buy They might love it on Instagram or whatever, mm-hmm. but nobody wants to buy it. Yeah. You know, so um, I'll find myself going through you know, ebbs and flows. I don't know the right word to use, but making stuff that I know will sell and then selling that a bunch and realizing that like, oh my God, my soul does not even want to make this at Um, all. I'm like so sick of this, whatever I'm doing. And then kind of like refinding myself and saying, reminding myself to be true to myself and, you know, do what, why I'm doing this, (laughs) you know, make sure that I'm making the things that I want to make. And that comes and goes a lot. Okay, there. I was going to ask the next question. How often does that happen? Yeah, uh, I mean, at least I've been through like at least three waves of it. And I've been uh, making art for my job for, I don't know, 15 years or so. Yeah. So. You know what I always find wild to me is that like artists get obsessed over some some things. Like it's either a subject matter or it's a way of doing things or it's a look of how things come out. I do it myself and like I so badly sometimes want to make art like other artists and I'll sit down to like just do something similar and I always find out something new about me in trying to do that. And that's the part that's like you have no idea what's going to happen next like creatively. And that's part of the fun of this whole journey, right? It's like some wild shit happens and you're just like yo i just impressed myself and then somebody turns around and buys that thing that meant a lot to just you and your own brain and you're just like yo somebody gave me money for that yeah it makes you feel good and it made and it made me feel good when i made it the whole process of it they bought it it makes them feel good like you can literally translate those thoughts and feelings to some other human being. You know what I'm saying? That's crazy to me. I love that. Yeah, and you think about it, it's like, oh, it's just art. It's simple, but it's really not fucking simple. Mm-mm. Like, companies try to do it all the time with their brand and with with products and shit, but you're just making this shit somewhere. Like, there's no real end goal in sight you would like for it to sell, but at this point, I'm to the point where I'm just like, well, I really just like the journey more than, you know, I think we all do, right? Yeah, and I and agree. that's why um, I think artists don't very often stick with one medium. Yeah. And that's why they're always exploring and trying something new. I mean, that's the part of it for me. Like, what happens if I? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and then that builds and turns into something on its own. And that's that's the fun part. So let's, okay, let's talk about how you got into mixed media with the photography then. Like, you, you, you take photography, you're learning it film, you're doing it digital, you're also painting in your own time? Yeah. Okay. So where where is the catalytic moment that is like, let's put all this shit together? Sorry um, to call it shit. 
I mean, in high school, when we had the darkroom class, we had to hand color our photos a lot. So you hand tint them. Oh. You print them in black and white, and then you, you know, use different kinds of techniques to make them color. Um, so I had that already happening. Okay. And then, you know, uh, I don't know, really. <laughs> I just, I, I missed the darkroom. I didn't like staring at the computer. And I just thought, like, what if I try this? What if I try that? I was... I was printing in historical processes and then painting on top of them, kind of hand toning them. And then I was like, what happens if I put the paint a little darker? Or like, what happens if I like draw my own flower over here? And so I just started doing that. And that really made me happy. (laughs) So Mm. it kept going. What's historical processes? Um, Just things like uh, printing photos historically, like using a historical process. So cyanotypes is one of them. Um, Salt prints. Platinum prints, Polaroid transfers are all, it's it, it just different ways throughout the years that people have progressed through, um, like, photography. Chemically processing these things? Yes. So, okay. like, coating your own paper oh, okay. and, like, mixing your own chemicals. Okay. And um, you just you start with a pile of stuff. And then you can, like, build a camera, coat your own paper, put it in there. And then, what? yeah, it's wild. You don't, you, don't need a, you don't need a fancy camera to take pictures. That's crazy. And it's called historical processing? Well, I mean, that's it's photography processes throughout history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like paint. I'm not sure if that's an official term. But. No, I, I'm getting lost in my own <laughs> fascination with what you're doing. So you naturally progress into manipulating these photos. Yes, which I did even when they were film. Like I was always like bending the paper or spraying it with bleach or like I really liked to see what happens. Yeah. And then eventually you come to a a finished product, we'll call it, I guess, that you like to, enough to show. Sure. And do you remember what the first show or the first reaction was when you started to show that to somebody else? Um, well, I've had studio spaces for a long time. So a lot of the times folks will, you know, I always leave my door open unless I'm really on a deadline. Okay. And people will walk by other artists and be like, what are you doing? You know? Yeah. And that, so that was a good, you know, if, if other artists like your art, then that's, you're in the right direction. I feel like, (laughs) um, and you know, I I was posting on Instagram and I don't really know the first time, maybe the first time I showed anything like that was, uh, I was at a studio called Panama pottery and, um, Joey Vasquez put on this big show called the body show. Um, and I did all these pictures of women that were, they were just like standing there very clinically yeah. Um, and then printed those in cyanotypes and then cut the paper open and painted little like hearts and stars what? and stuff and then yeah. put that behind it. So it was like ripped open paper yeah. like, through their chest. Um, and it, that was titled, <laughs> the series was titled Waiting to Explode. What the fuck? So it was, <laughs> yeah. it was just kind of like a play on like how all these people have all this, this wonderful energy or yeah, ideas yeah. or whatever inside of them and it's all in there and you just have to like let it out <laughs> i mean to sum it up simply do you have any like pictures of that shit or like yeah that's cool <laughs> i'd like to see that thanks so this reminds me the reason why i ask you these questions is because it tells kind of like uh the intro to where your style is now right and so some people have different ways of different things they feel comfortable with computers you say you didn't feel comfortable in front of a screen all day i'm the same way i have to be able to touch it See it, smell it, 
Yep. You know what I'm saying? I have to gauge the texture of it. And that's just the way my brain works perfectly. But other people like my sisters, they can be on the computer. They're in there two hands typing, not even looking up. And like, I always thought it was fascinating how people's brains work individually. Well, now you put that into a creative context and they're, they're, all the creatives are different. And I recently read a book that this is exactly what they're talking about. A book called, I think it's called Stealing Like an Artist. Okay. And he talks about writers would get stumped and get like a writer's block, right? And one of the techniques they would use to get out of that would be to practice a different type of art form. Some people would pull out like a little piece of paper, a little pen and paper and doodle. And it's basically just putting your brain into a different thought process and format in order to jumpstart whatever else you were already on that got kind of stale. And I always thought that was very interesting. And I asked myself, how do I do that? Well, I do it every day. I paint the cars, I turn around and I use those same techniques to paint canvases. I see graffiti, turn around and use that to paint canvases too. And it's like, I always thought it was very interesting when somebody is far enough along in their artistic journey to be able to just tell you all that shit, you know, like, this is why I do this. This is how I feel comfortable with this. Some people aren't that far yet. Yes. Sorry, was that a lot? No, it's great. <laughs> I just, I don't have anything to add to that. Yeah, that was no, perfect. No, it's tight. And I, that's what I thought about when you were telling me that. I can hear your story and I was like, oh, she she's switching through modes in the mind. Like, yeah. I mean, it's all, it's all kind of related, right? So yeah. even when it was just photography, I was building my own props and my own sets, which yeah. I still totally do. But that leads into installations because it's kind of the same thing, yeah. right? Um, I don't know. It's all connected. I sound like a hippie. It no, it is. It is all connected and hippie's cool. Like. <laughs> Where does uh, where does the installation work start? Um, well, like I said, I always liked building sets and you know props and things for photo shoots. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I I always wanted to build big. Yeah. Uh, when I was thinking about going to school when I was younger, really wanted to be a, a like a set designer or an art director, but I didn't That's know cool. what that was called, so yeah. I didn't know how to pursue that. Um, and I wish that somebody would have just said like, that's an art director. <laughs> and then that's probably what I would be right now. Um, but I don't, I don't know. We always built stuff growing up. Like, yeah. you, you know, my dad always had us, I, and I do with my daughter, you know, she's five and she's out there with a hammer and nails and like making her stuff. And that's cool. We did that growing up too. So that probably has something to do with it. So she's always been there. Yep. You've turned it into an artistic process. Yes. So this brings me to the first time I ever saw your work, not knowing this would actually happen, this conversation, but I remember the work. I was at coordinates touring the entire space and I walked through it like three times because you can't get it all in at once when it was, when it was there. And I remember seeing your work there and I was like, yo, somebody used lights. What? This is crazy. Like, what am I even looking at here? Like, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. So can you just educate me on like how that whole coordinates installation started for you? Yeah. Um, I got brought on a little late. I think everybody had four weeks and I had three. Um, and you know, Faith McKenney is, and that whole team was pretty incredible to work with. They, they, uh, they introduced me to artists that I had not known or seen and some that I had worked with before. So it was really, it was a fun and exciting time to build stuff together. Um, and I just, I, we had to pick out a room and then I just sat in the room for like so long. They probably thought I was never going to make anything <laughs> Just sit there and look at the walls and be like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Cause I kind of had an idea, but you have to feel the space when yeah. it's something like that. Um, 
And then I got it. <laughs> I got the idea. And uh, the table that was in there, so it was I don't, probably not everybody has been to coordinates. There was a table uh, with place settings on it. And then each one of those place settings had a mold of my body, some part of my body, um, kind of like you were eating me for dinner, for lack of a better way to put that. Okay. Um, and then there was like a ton of flowers and neon lights going through the ceiling and going through the table um, and going down the wall. And so it was called Take All of Me. And it's just kind of like how much you give to everyone, right? So there's like, like there was a platter of my boobs, you know, I have, yeah. had a kid and I've breastfed and, but then also like in a sexual way, that's, this is getting real weird. Um, so Go ahead, there's no judgment. <laughs> it was just basically a self portrait about like how much can you give and give and give and give. And like people may see this beautiful space, um, but, and everybody was Instagramming it and like, this is yeah. so cool. But that, that was like my sad soul <laughs> that I was oh. putting on the table there. So, um, it, I, I use art a lot of times to work stuff out. Like once I get over yeah. the hump, then I have to make something and I'm like, okay, psh, we're done with it's that. It's out. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was definitely one of those moments. I seen it and I didn't know what it was, but I couldn't stop looking at it. Like a lot of the other things in that space, right? I was like, yo, what is this? Yeah. What am I looking at? And there there was like a whole little writing poem thing that went with it, but uh -huh. you had to use the QR code. So I don't know how many people actually were doing that. Oh, I definitely didn't do that. Yeah. I just looked at it and was like, yo, there's a lot to take in. Thanks. Thanks for taking it in. Where does where does like the use of light come into play? Because I know where you got the first idea from. I'm assuming it came from dad, right? Like, like using the neon lights? Yeah, using the neon lights. Um, well, there was always, my dad worked at a shop. We always had a shop set up in our garage too. So growing up our whole lives, we would, you know, it was like third grade, standing over the fire, bending, you know, Christmas ornaments or whatever we were making. Oh, that's stuff. cool. Um, but we didn't start putting the glass, the gas into the glass until maybe like five or six years ago. Uh, myself and my littlest brother, there's five of us. What up, Hank? Um, we both started learning the entire process so we can, from start to finish, make a sign or make a, you know, and I'm still absolutely learning because I don't have time to dedicate, you know, yeah. 12 hours a day to learn it all. Um, but learning how to make patterns and what gases go in what to make what colors and like what temperatures all those things need to be at and pumping the gas is actually kind of dangerous like it sounds like it's pressurized in it because it's inside of the glass well it, that's it is but the transformer that that heats everything up uh -huh. um is the same as is the top of like an electrical pole Whoa. and if you stand too close to it it can jump over and yeah. zap you and so you have to like be aware of your body and what you're doing and temperatures and twisting knobs and um yeah it's that chemical process sounds a lot like pictures there is like a nerdy chemistry yeah. kind of part to all of those things yeah so Scientific. let me get this. <laughs> let me recap this. You were bending glass. That's the first step of it is bending glass. Yeah. So you, the, everything comes in a glass tube. Straight tube. Uh, hollow tube. Okay. And depending on the color of the tube and then the color that you want it to be, you have to pick out different, like, cause neon is red and argon is blue. So depending on which gas goes in, it makes different colors. Okay. It's like a super crash course. Oh, so neon that. itself is an actual gas. Mm -hmm. Oh, what? <laughs> yes. And, uh, so you have, you have like this fire in front of you. There's there's two different kinds. One's kind of like a torch and one is kind of like just like a long fire. And depending on how you want to bend or what pattern you need to follow, depends on how much of the glass you need to heat. And you have to right. roll it the whole time yeah. and then bend it and then try to bend the other part without 
ruining that part. Does it cool on its own or do you use something to accelerate the cooling? No, it cools. You just kind of set it to the side and then work on another piece. And there's been many times now where I've grabbed a hot piece. Yeah. Yeah. Burnt myself. So I have a a heat gun at the shop. And when you reform things that have like a work hardened process to them, like you heat them up in order to get them to a workable point. But if you exceed that workable point and you touch it, it's extremely hot. And it's like I've stuck bumpers to my fingers before because it's so hot i'm just like oh my god why did i do that yeah it hurts it definitely hurts (laughs) i've definitely burned myself you know so the first step of the neon process is bending glass then adding the the chemicals to it to make the color yeah you need to add gas to it okay um well first so you bend the glass however you want and you have to put these things on the end called electrodes oh that's um, fancy because that's where the you know you clip those on to make the electricity go through. Okay. Right. Um, so you, and then you need to heat up the glass hot enough to get all the impurities out, um, and then go back in and put the gas in, and then they, it's called burning it. So you leave it on for a while, make sure all the gas goes through. If you use argon, you need to put in mercury into the tube. So then you have to kind of work the mercury around. And I don't know. <laughs> Where does the actual color come from? Um, sometimes the tubes and sometimes the gas. So sometimes the the glass is clear. Okay. And sometimes it's colored. That's crazy. That's a whole nother episode all by itself. (laughs) Neon. Yep. Okay. So did you have to do a bunch of that process for coordinates? Oh, yeah. I made all those things. No, that was all made for that. And what's the time frame for just the glass part? Well, I don't know. A lot of I was a lot of hours. I'm an artist. I don't sleep. Yeah. There's no time. No, I know, I know. Just sickness. <laughs> um, yeah. So I had three weeks to do it. Probably sat around for a week panicking, trying to figure out what oh, to do. Oh, this full. And then um found a table. The table that was in there came from this little old lady was so sweet. Her husband had just passed away and she oh. and I told her what I was using the table for. She's like, That's perfect. Yeah. And so like you know, got that one and then everything else just kind of built around it. That's crazy. And Faith was just like, go for it. Don't worry about it. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I had worked with Molly Stroud before, um, like we on different little projects and things. And so, I mean, they, they knew, they knew, they knew what the artists record, yeah. were doing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, that's cool. And that was another thing when I was walking around and I was like, how the fuck did all this go down at the same time? <laughs> like, this must have been a busy ass place. Like, yeah. I mean, well. I was there on some off times. So like I said, I have a five-year-old. And so I, I was working on different times. I remember when I was a non-mom artist and I would work like through the night. A lot of people were doing that, yeah. showing up late night and staying until three, four in the morning. Um, and that's, you know, this wasn't the first time that I had been a part of something that was like that. Uh, uh, Art Street. Were you around for Art Street? Is that Broadway? It was on Broadway. Yeah, yeah. 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 I was a part of that too. And that was the same kind of thing. Like, So tell me about that because I remember hearing about it, but I wasn't in this space for it. So yeah, there was art hotel first, which I was not a part of, I heard and then of that too. art street yeah. came not too long after, like a year or two after. Um, and same kind of idea, a bunch of artists had some space, yeah. um, this big warehouse and they built us out rooms and, you know, really just let us go for it. Uh, I was, I was really excited about coordinates because art street, I was not super able to be there as much as I wanted to be. I was very pregnant at the time. um, And I was unable to use the chemicals that I wanted to use because I was pregnant. Yeah. It's my first kid. So I thought like, okay, they said I'm due on the 8th. I'll have the baby on the 8th and then I'll go on the the 12th and I'll go and I'll like build all this stuff and we have to be done by the 25th. It'll be fine. It's totally fine. Yeah. Babies don't work like that. It wasn't because she was two weeks late. And then um, Sean Burner called and was like, hey, are you coming to like 
to your spot? And I said, yeah. yeah, yeah. How much time do I have? And he's like, till tomorrow, dude. Like, yeah. What are you doing? Get here. And I was like, had a little like week old baby. I'm all, all right. I'm on my way. Dang. And um, yeah, so I was really excited since I missed all of the artists building everything together yeah. at Art Street because I was busy having a baby uh, to go to coordinates and be able to be a part of, you know, the community together. You have a daughter, right? I do. Okay, so for the daughter, when you listen to this, mother has sacrificed many, many things. You could have came out with a horn because of the mercury, but she didn't want that for you. So be grateful. Yeah, she's rad. These things are like very energetic. These major installation pieces, right? Like, are the major like buildings and shit? Like, yeah, it's fun. That's crazy that that's been happening a bunch. Where was I for all this in the streets? Yeah. <laughs> no, okay. Where does the whole curator job part come into play? Hmm. I, um, oh, we did talk about this. We did. Yeah. yeah. Can we get into it we the can. same way? We okay. can talk about it. I uh, applied for a show years and years and years ago. It's like 2011, maybe 2008, somewhere around there. And um, turned in my stuff. And I was in one of those waves where I was like just making art that would sell. I just want to be a photographer. I just don't want to wait tables anymore. This yeah. is what I want to do. People will buy these things. Sent that stuff over to the show and the person responded with, thanks for reaching out or something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, keep shooting. You'll get there. And I was like, motherfucker. All right. <laughs> yeah. I was I was mad at first and I was like, because all my friends were in the show. Yeah. But then I was like, no, she's right. Yeah. She's totally right. I am not being true to myself. This art is not that good. Like I need to reevaluate. And I did. And that actually might be where all the going back to my roots with the dark room, yeah. now that I'm saying it out loud, started to come in where I started to like paint on things and be like, no, let's do what I want to do. Well, that's okay. Let me just stop you right there. We're going to get right back to the story. Okay. But there's an important point here. Like you have to go through those processes. You said it a second ago, when you get over that hump, you can get back to going forward. I think that's, I don't know where what that is emotionally or whatever, but I do it too. If there's something that I'm holding on to, I can't wait to get to Saturday because during Saturday I can paint it and then it's no longer there anymore. And I come back home and it's like, who the fuck's this guy that just walked in all calm and like, he's cool. You know, he just left all crazy. But as artists, you have to put all that energy into something. And when you're doing shit that is not based off that authentic energy, people can see that shit. And they're just like, oh. Yeah. And it was, I mean, really, it was just, it was boring work. Yeah. I was just doing stuff that was boring. Yeah. I would just, if it was on Instagram, I would have scrolled right past it. Yeah. But then later on, we had the body show and that yeah. same person came and visited my studio. I don't probably not on purpose was because there was a million artists that were part of yeah. that. And just was like, mm-hmm. All right. Thanks. And walked out. And I don't know, a couple months later called and said like, hey, do you want to have a solo show? And I was like, ah, yeah, yeah she yeah. told me no. Then she told me yes. Yeah. And that's where the curator job actually came in. I had the show and then I was, I run or was running at the time, a little arts and music magazine. Um, and so we were already putting on shows. So I already knew how to do all that stuff. And she was just like, you know, a lot of artists, do you want to do it? I said, yes. Tell Let's, let's put a pin in it right there for the curator story. Tell me about the arts magazine. Sure. What's it called? Um, it's called Tube. Okay. <laughs> And uh, we started in 2012, maybe late 2011. Uh, it's artist and musician ran and all ran by volunteers. Um, and for years and years and years, we did it. It's a print book. It was online for a couple of years, and then we started printing. Um, and it was a lot of fun. We used to have release parties and have bands play. And oh, arch, that's dope. You know, every time a magazine came out. and um, Where yeah. were these parties at? Random places, right down the street, there was one. There used to be the skate shop that was there. Oh, yeah. So we had like yeah. a bunch of 
punk rock and oi bands play and did yeah. like a graffiti and skateboard issue. Oh, that's and, tight. You know, um, Blue Lamp supported us. They were one of the first people to support us. Uh, ben and Gabby are amazing. Um, and they really took a chance on us. And then after that, things just kept going. You know, we started doing stuff with the Crocker and, you know, just everywhere. Wait a, wait a minute. You go from Broadway at the punk rock graffiti show to the Crocker. Yeah, funny, huh? Off of a <laughs> off of an artist ran and printed volunteer based magazine. Yeah. How the, how that happened? What's what's the, um? It well, it kind of started. I was f- photographing a yeah. lot. And I was doing a ton of bands, um, like album cover shows for a long time. I did that a lot, and uh, I remember trying to walk through a barricade, and they were like press pass, and I was like no and they said you can't come in then and I was like I get my own press pass yeah and so then we got drunk in the kitchen and tube was formed yeah. <laughs> it was like we need press passes we got to get places um and so we did that and then we got to do a lot of things um yeah we started interviewing bigger bands and I thought it was really important to put like really large scale people next to our own local yes people. yes because then you would see like you know, like a band that you yes. knew already next to somebody that was like playing yeah. Cafe Colonial or something. Yeah. I thought that was because we're all doing the same stuff. And just, you're using the major traffic to help bring new yeah, traffic. Yeah, a bit. And then yeah. once we got in with like some larger, uh, you know, like press releases coming our way yeah. and bigger companies like Warner Brothers was calling us for stuff and things like that. And we started going to a lot of big shows. And then, you know, we would have something called, we called it the circus, but the long name is freaks geeks and things you can't unsee uh Uh, and it would be at the blue lamp was the first place to give us a chance i shopped around this show a million times Uh and uh everybody was like no 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 and gabby was like that sounds sick do it and so we did and it was uh art so all art circus themed freaky freak show kind of stuff uh we had a couple bands and then we would have like a variety show pretty much like little you know like there was a juggler and there was like a fire swallower and all these kind of circusy kind of stuff and um we had a line wrapped around the block people waiting to come in and so we did that two years at the blue lamp and then the crocker was like hey maybe come do that here and so we did that for two years there and then that was was there a big difference in the crowd and the reaction at blue lamp versus the crocker yes the crocker is a little bit more um (laughs) refined folks yeah (laughs) i mean the crocker's great right yeah, it and it's um it's a different crowd and the blue lamp was i mean half the people in the audience were also the people on stage uh-huh. and we were all like supporting our friends and when you go to the crock they're kind of like what is going on yeah, here yeah um so yes different very different shows i <laughs> i've taken my kids to like homegrown shows we'll call it you know lo- local shows yeah and then i've recently taken them to the crocker and they're like can we do we have to take our shoes off in here like <laughs> you know what i'm saying like even as little kids they can see the difference in it yeah and i always thought that was cool well um, i think it's important to know too that probably most of that stuff in the crocker started somewhere yeah definitely did. like the homegrown shows. yeah yeah that, it, that's the other thing too right is like none of it's off the table none of it's impossible um there's a whole nother section to your stuff that's international shows right yeah um yeah i had some stuff go to china a couple times um art street my neighbor was lynn feifei uh local artist yeah and we connected a little bit and she was like took a bunch of artists work to china with her that's crazy and then it traveled around and then she went back and then a a year or two later she did it again and took everybody's work to china and but that's what i'm saying is like you can get to china like in a sense from 
doing homegrown shows and shit. Like, none of it's off the table, and that's crazy to me. So I feel right now, it's like, dude, this can be as big as we want to make it. You know, like, if we put the work in, we can have it. So what happens after that? Does the magazine continue to print? Does it get bigger? Like, do you hire staff? Like, what's the yeah, next step for the I, magazine? Well, it, it was tricky because um, I was nervous about bringing on advertisers because yeah. then they have an opinion about yep. what you're putting in there. And we weren't always saying nice things yep. about um, Good for you. certain things that were happening yeah. in our community. And, um, yeah, I, I was doing a lot of work. You don't realize how much work you're doing until you're – unable to do it so much. Yeah. Uh, I, I was running most of the magazine and then picking up, you know, cause we were, it's volunteers. So it's hard to get people to like turn stuff in on time or, yeah. you know, I'm not paying you yeah. doing it in the kindness of you. Um, and then I got pregnant, had my daughter and my daughter actually was, uh, we went into emergency surgery three weeks into her being born. Oh, wow. Um, it was like a gnarly weird, she had like this crazy tumor. Um, oh, no. And so, and I was booked solid. Yeah. Uh, I was booking my, the art mix for the Crocker while I was sitting in the hospital with her. Like, and I'm that kind of person where I need to stay busy if something major is yeah. going on. So it wasn't like I was being, you know, negligent. I just kept on working like everything was fine. Um, but coming out of that and having a newborn that had just gone through surgery and like, it just, I couldn't keep up very much with all the work that needed to happen for tubes. So we hung on to it for a little bit. Uh, Kata Hules was my partner in it and and tried to keep it alive for a while, and she did for a long time. And then we just kind of – COVID happened. We printed an issue, took a break. Um, but I am stepping back from the gallery that I work at, and so I think we're going to focus in on on printing again because um, it's a ton of fun. No, we look, and I think the communities are asking for something like that right now. Yeah, there's there needs to be a space where yeah. – uh, it's not just like journalists writing about you. Yeah. It's your peers, yeah. you know, and, and your coworkers, I guess. I don't know. Your community. Let me give you some, my version of exactly what you just said. One of the most important parts of this process of podcast is writing the description. And I don't, I, dude, I have a hard time spelling. You can ask people, <laughs> they've seen this shit and been like, bro, that don't say dope. That's just dop. Like, <laughs> I have a hard, I'm just horrible at spelling. Anyways, even with technology and spell check. One of the most important parts of this, though, is how do you talk about these people before they get a chance to talk about themselves? This is you talking about yourself, right? So, like, how do I get an audience that has no idea who you are? How do I get them to just start to think about the special things about you? And so the first couple of times I did this, it was, like, super daunting to me, writing the descriptions, because I'm like, I'm not... I'm not a journalist. I'm not like an art critic or whatever the fuck. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just talk about these people the same way. I, f The same things that I feel are special about them. I'm going to just write that and fuck who don't like it. And that's worked so many times where I've called and I've post interview. How do you feel about it? Oh, it was great. Dude, I really like what you wrote about me. And I'm just like, all right. There's, there's something there when you give your honest opinion about something. Some people might not like it, but they will respect the fact that it's an honest opinion. I think that's super valuable. You also made another good point when you said um, advertising, right? Because now you start to depend on outside influence to make you go forward. That can be dangerous when you're talking about a community like this. Yes, that's true. Um, and, you know, it, I don't know. It, I, I do if when 
when and if we restart, I, we have to pay people. Yeah. You know, like I get paid for my art yeah. and I get paid for photo jobs and, and, um, uh, people really did it for the love of it otherwise, yeah. but you know, you can only do that for so long. Yeah. It's not sustainable, but there does has to be, I mean, it's business at the end of the day. It is. Right. So it is what it is, but no, I get that too. And that was, uh, I've had just other people I've talked to before that I know are not like me that have offered to do like help with the money for this. And I'm just like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready for you yet because <laughs> I say some things that you might not agree with. So let's backtrack real quick to something you had said about your, the little one has a surgery and you're booking, you're still working during that time. Yeah. That's very hard on your spirit. I've had that happen similar to me in my life where my little one came three weeks. No, it was like 60 days or 90 days ahead of schedule. He was premature. And so like after that, he's in the hospital and it's like, that shit kills you. There is no more creative spark. Like, yeah, it, I mean, it was rough. It, uh, was a little tougher. My husband worked on the railroad, so he was gone a lot Yeah, and he was just out for a week, you know, which is hard to do when you're working yeah. on trains. Um, and so when he called and told them like, Hey, I need to stay off work. Like my yeah. kid needs surgery. Uh, they asked him if he felt maybe that he wasn't right for that job anymore. Yeah. So they were going to let him go if he took time off to be with his family. Um, so he was going to work 12, 16 hour shifts and then coming and sleeping in the hospital in a chair and then going to work again. And so it was like, I didn't see daylight for, we were there for, I don't know, six weeks almost. Um, I went home once to shower yeah. and it was just, you know, luckily I have family here and they're, they were really supportive and, um, but yeah, it does kind of suck the creative spirit out of you. And then I was a little behind on stuff. Like I was trying to book a fashion show for the Crocker thing and I called someone three weeks ahead from the show and she was like a little tight schedule, huh? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'm like, my daughter's having surgery. I'm in the hospital calling you right now. And she yeah. was like, what? What are you doing? Yeah. You know? Um, but I also got really nervous because, uh, man, I'm just going off. Uh, being a mom, right, is people look at you like if you want to work, it's uh, you either need to work or you need to be a mom. Like yeah. if you're if you're at work, you must not love your kids. And if you're at home, you couldn't possibly be a career woman. So um, I was really nervous when she was first born to even let people know that she was around. I didn't really post her on the Internet and and talk about her too much because I didn't want to lose jobs because people that's what happens. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you uh, lose jobs when you have babies. That's horrible. That you're, yeah, it's terrible because that's yeah. like. You need the money. Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> um, so not to get into like a big dive of like motherhood and all of that. I I just, uh, it was a little crushing on my what, spirit. Let's, let's, no, and I'm sorry that I bring that back up. No, it's it okay. It, but I'm, I'm glad you are comfortable talking about it. Have you had people say no or like lost opportunities because you're now a mother? Absolutely. You have? Yeah. You can ask any working woman who has children that happens. It's fucked up, dude. Yeah. There's almost no better motivation to get the work done than to be a mother. Like, yeah. And I I mean, I guess I can see how people could think that like you're occupied and your brain is somewhere else. And truthfully, like she's five now and I'm just within the last year started to feel like myself again, like where I really? can dive fully into projects, yeah. you know. And I'm really lucky to have a very supportive artistic community that was still giving me jobs and still mm -hmm. putting me in shows. Um, I have a girlfriend, Frankie, that just she was just like she knew that I needed it. Like she would give yeah. me jobs yeah. that, and I would 
turn around and be like, here it is. And she'd be like, cool. Can you be a part of this art show? Like she just kept me in the community, yeah. even if it was just a touch. So I didn't, because it's really easy once you turn around mm-hmm. to not. You got to you know. stay plugged in. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you got to stay plugged in. That's, that's one of the reasons why my artistic stuff is the way it is, because I leech off everybody's energy all week, you know, learning about them and whatever. That sounds horrible, but whatever. <laughs> um, so the space you're the curator at is called the where we can share the name, right? Yeah, sure. Okay, Warehouse Artist Lofts, right? Is that yeah, the official wall. name? It's wall. wall. It's um, they. It's a bunch of artists. You have to be a creative person to live there. And then the downstairs is like a public market. Uh, there's a, a clothing shop, a, a man that makes clothes, and a vintage shop. Um, there's a furniture store, a record store, and then a rug shop. Um, and then there was coffee. They just moved out. Fish faces in there too. And then a gallery on the bottom floor. You said you have to be an artist to live there. You need to be in a creative field. Yeah. Um, it's so, you know, dance, music, art, yeah. visual arts, whatever. And that's the building that has the old like four post structure on top of it with like a propane or water tank in it. Or is it a different building? I don't know if it has that up there. I don't, it might. And I'm just not I'm realizing thinking, it. It's right next to Bottle and Barlow. I don't know. R but any, and 11. There was a, uh. There was an old building over there that got like revamped that we used to like spray paint the shit out of. <laughs> that might have been it. That might have not been it. Anyways, um, so you get the job because of being the curator there because the owner liked what you were doing I'm personally. Sure. Okay. And then how do you go I'm about? Guessing. I mean, do, yeah. Do you have any other like previous curating experience? Did you just do this? just for tube? Uh, Which we have shows enough. all the yeah. time. Yeah. Um. So do you just take the same process for tube and turn it into the wall? Uh, the wall was a good way for me to realize that I was thinking every time we had a tube show, it was like insane. Like you, like it needed to be the biggest and the most fun and all this uh-huh. stuff. And wall was a good chance for me to just like calm down a little bit, put some art on the walls and know that not everything has to be like a blowout every time. Um, so that was good. And that was another uh, moment. Trisha that owns the gallery is also a mom. And she, I'm so thankful for working there. It made me go out when my daughter was really young. Every first Friday, I had to be out. I had yeah. to go out and find artists. I needed to be connected to the community. And that was all because of that job. So it was it was perfect for the time that I was there. And you said that was a four-year yeah, thing my, you did? Yeah, my first show with them. I showed my art there in 2018. Uh-huh. Um, I think the summer or September, right around there. And then January 2019, I threw my first show there. And then how did you go about picking the next show after that? Um, well, the first show was uh, John Muheim, and he has been a band photographer in Sacramento for since the 70s. Oh, really? So, uh, like, the, there's a bunch of buildings. Track 7 is now over on, you know, in Curtis Park-ish. Okay. That used to be, like, an old punk venue. They, they, they would just throw warehouse shows. So there's, like, pictures of, like, Slayer in these tiny little places in Sacramento oh, or, like, huge dope. bands. Yeah. Um, so that's... He was the first show. Um, who was the second show? And did you have a relationship with him through your other professional experiences? We had written about him for Tube. There you go. Yeah. Uh-huh. So uh, in the beginning, I was kind of trying to cross over the both of them. Yeah. You know, like write about the people, put it on the on the yeah, website, exactly. yeah. put them in the book, and then have a show. Um, and we did that for a while. And, and when I first started doing shows there, I was making time to go over and do portraits of each person in their studio space. Oh. Um, and that was really fun and a good way to connect with them. Um, and it just, it didn't always work every time. Like we couldn't get our schedules meshed up or yeah. whatever. Uh, but the first like six months or a year, 
I photographed everyone too. So you're getting to deep dive these people. Yeah, love it. Yeah, you're getting to write about them for a magazine format, right? And then you're turning around and showing their art in a visual format, like bigger than the magazines. You can say more with art on the wall. And you're doing portraits of them. Are you... What, what does that look like? You show up to their space and just kind of watch them do what they do? Yeah. Um, a lot of the times. Yeah. Just like would kind of give them a maybe have some art out that you yeah. are proud of or working on and then something that you're in the middle of working on. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's one of my favorite part about this whole process is I get to learn about other people and like I just stretch things out. You know, when I find something that is interesting to me about somebody else, I'm like, yo, let's talk about that. Yeah. And it's like, it's a, it, like, I want to be other artists friends. I yeah. know that sounds so yeah. like simple and kind of nerdy to say, but I do. I, I like, that's why I hold a studio space. I like being in a place where I see other people working yeah. and feeling like you're like part of it or, you know, like even kicking you in the butt and getting you to work too. Mm-hmm. Like it's good to be surrounded by. No, it, it like definitely that. is. And it's different opinions are always good. Different uh, perspectives or whatever. Like I've learned a lot in the last six months or whatever, however long it's been from other people that I super valuable. That's rad. And it's just, it's been tight. So I can get why doing what you're doing is like super fulfilling or what you were doing. How did that play during COVID? Like what was, let's talk about like 2019 before the shutdown. Yeah. Where was it at? Um, like the gallery. Yeah. Like what was the momentum like? How much, how big of a crowd? What's selling? Like what's the vibe like? Yeah. It was, uh, the openings of shows were pretty big. Yeah. Um, and since it's since COVID, the openings are a little bit smaller, but people come throughout the month, which I totally get. Not everybody wants to be around a crowd. Yeah. Um, wildly we were selling more art after COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and larger pieces. And I don't know if that's because people from like the Bay area are moving here or like really what's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So sales are up a little bit, I guess. Um, but in the beginning also, I wasn't super worried about selling the art. No, I, I was yeah. asking people to paint murals inside of there and do installations and things like that. And, um, that didn't, that didn't get to continue after, you know, like yeah. six or seven shows. Um, it was preferred to just kind of keep just art on the wall and not get so wild and crazy. Um, yeah. So there was more opportunity for art to sell after we stopped doing murals and installations everywhere. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. And is that just because you opened up more real estate for that? Like there was now more work that could be showed? I mean, I guess so, but I think that the the climate in Sacramento is changing a bit too. It definitely is changing. Um, especially after COVID, maybe people realized that while they were home, they were all doing things that creative people, you know, they were like watching movies and reading books and that's all a, a community that you want to support. Yeah. And I think too, what's happening is like, uh, this is the way I see it. You can see my hands, right? Like before it was on one hand, you had like all Sacramento people and underneath that hand was like Bay area people a little bit, but now it's shifted to where the Bay area people out number the people that were here. Yeah. And it's been great. Because they bring all this new energy, this new money, new perspective. Like, it's been really good for everybody. And that's, you can look at anything and just be like, yo, this has really done a lot. This whole change of people, you know, movement. It's done a lot for the city. Yeah, it it has. It has some good moments and some moments that I'm like, what is happening right now? But, yeah, overall, it's Sacramento's growing. I was say that, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. So what, uh, 
what's the whole conclusion to the to this? Like, why are we not? If you want to get into it, if we can, why why are we not doing warehouse hardest loss right now? Or why are we? Oh, gonna, why am I? Yeah, uh, why are you not gonna be the curator anymore? I well, I just I feel like I should. I feel like Tube should probably come back because mm-hmm. um, there really isn't an avenue right now of any kind of local no paper at all. It's not. Um, and you know, I just I want to focus a little bit on myself. I know that sounds kind of shitty, no, but it's, it's you know, I'm like, I've been promoting other people on the internet and, and it's, I need to just hone down and make some art for a little while. Yeah. Dive deep within yourself. Yeah. Get it done. What, um, all right. So let's talk about there not being a whole lot of options for locals here, like publications wise. I know one of the homies has a magazine that he started digitally mm-hmm. and that's cool. And he's, he's like a couple issues into it. I got a chance to be a part of it. Some other cool people got a chance to be a part of it. But I think it would be extra dope. And don't get mad at me for this, bro. If somebody from home, from Sacramento, was able to be like, hey, let's take the old and the new and put them together. Like you said, take the big and the small, right? People that might not have the same audiences and tractions and put them together. That was kind of the, when we started Tube, it wasn't only the press pass thing. It was Everybody that would start to take off would leave Sacramento. Yes. And yeah. I was like, maybe if we just focus and people see what everybody's doing here, they'll just stay put and we'll yeah. be a rad city. And, you know, I mean, people still leave all the time, but there's they a lot do, of cool and stuff here too. Yeah, and that's a trend though, that everybody, even with, yeah, everything, everybody wants to leave. Like, sack is whack is everybody's fucking shit. That's but I, I mean, I don't know. Like, maybe there is other opportunities, you know? My sister just moved to LA because she's a film person and uh-huh. she's getting hired left and right down there. So good for her. Yeah. I mean, hire us in Sacramento. Yeah. Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so we can stay put. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's so, I don't know. It's a, we could talk all day about that, right? About people coming and leaving and yeah. how the opinion of how it is here. I definitely think that I will say, and I'll be the one to say it, that that's one of our biggest problems, right? Is like, nobody sees the value here at home. Everybody wants to leave. Everybody thinks there's more opportunity in L.A. or in the Bay, and they're kind of ashamed of home. And it's like all of a sudden, I think it's really cool that the people from here are just building here again. Like nobody, I'm, I'm not trying to leave. I'm not going to leave. Like I just think that's tight. And when I heard your story about everything you're doing, I was like, yo, you've been doing this way longer. That's sick. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Yeah. I don't, I think it's important to leave too though. You know, I mean, even like my little sister, Heather, what up? Even if she comes back, you know, she's going to come back a different person oh, with definitely. different eyes. And yeah. It's important to get out there and see what else is out there too. Yeah. I did. We did that in graph a little bit where you travel to other spaces. Mainly it's like different energy, right? You yeah. go out there and experience it, bring it back. And it's just like, it affects you differently. Yeah. The other spaces. It is. I still love home though. Um, anyways, so I kind of don't have anything else left to ask you about unless <laughs> okay. you got stuff you want to talk about. I don't know. I mean, I think you asked me a million questions. I did. I asked, I just been an hour and like 10 minutes. So now that we have the floor and you're talking and it's, we're outside of COVID, we're outside of like, you know, these shows are going to keep going. People are going to keep making art, publicly being able to show it. What would you like to see? Like from the community? From the community, yeah. Well, support from each other for sure. Um, opportunities on from larger uh, entities for um, 
maybe someone who's not done public art, maybe give yeah. them a little shot at doing some public art. Yeah. Working with the city, it's kind of tricky. You can't get a job unless you've had a job, right? And so you need to, there needs to be opportunities for things stupid, like that. sounds fucking stupid, but okay. It, I mean, you know, like you need a track record yeah, yeah. in order to say like, I want to do a sculpture in the park. Yeah. You need to have already done sculptures in the park or else how do they know to hire you? But some way to make that kind of happen a little more, I would love to see that. Um, and you know, just like, support from one one another um at sacramento has always been pretty good i think about being supportive to each other versus competitive with each other other cities you know artists can be kind of brutal to each other um so i don't know you know that's a good answer though keep going sacramento (laughs) (laughs) all right so we'll conclude the episode with a question i like to ask everybody that comes on and that's I didn't prep you for this either. So I it's knew gonna, this was coming. Yeah, too. it's gonna be authentic. <laughs> and here's here's the thing: new rules. All right, okay. can't, it can't be vague. I need details from you. I know you know <sighs> what you know. So let us know what you know. What's your idea of a dope day? And don't just tell me waking up and having coffee and this and that. Like, what kind of coffee? Where do you have this coffee? Okay. Man, I thought about this for a long time too because I listen to you and I know. Oh, that's dope. Um. <laughs> A dope day. I mean, like, really and truly as stupid and dorky as this sounds, I think every day is a dope day. Like, I'm stoked yeah. every single day when I wake up. I'm like, You should yes, be because you alive. Let's do these things. <laughs> um, but, like, a really good day, I don't know, probably go to the studio for a bit, right? Hang with my girl, my daughter, um, drink some beers, get drunk, dance on a table. There I don't go. know. That's like, fire. No, that's, that'll get work. Get wild yeah. a little. Like, start off slow. <laughs> You brought tea into the interview and you're leaving with a Modelo. I, that's right. <laughs> that's sick. Because <laughs> I'm in the right place. <laughs> so I don't know. Just like a fun, fun day, which could be so many things. It definitely can be. And I'll let you off the hook with that. Thanks. So that'll work. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for your time and your story. Thanks this for having me. This podcast is brought to you by We Are Sacramento in the Law. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Who I called to ask about you? Domas Montoya. You did not. Yeah, what did he like, say? I we didn't like, even name drop him. You should have said so we could I talk know, about him. I know. I was like, hey, this lady's talking about she doing all this stuff for everybody. Is this true? And he's like, what's the lady's name? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's been doing longer than you have. And I was like, oh, okay, tight. <laughs>